Yeah, well, it's so good to be here. Like, um, I think I've only been to about three or four services in between COVID lockdowns and our break over summer and then the house church over here. So it's so good to be uh, with you guys and having the privilege of bringing God's word to you today. Um, so yeah, we're, we're on part two of our series, uh, looking as we look forward, we're looking outward. Um, so this morning, I'd like to look at what has the power to change the human heart. <laughs> That's all right, we just disappeared from back there. That's all right. So, um, so what has the power to change the human heart and then transform families, then whole communities? What has the power to transform us on the inside? And we find the answer to that in Romans 1 verse 16. So let's have a look at that scripture. So Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So it's a great battle cry of the church. We are not ashamed of the gospel. But it also poses a challenge to us. Um, you see, we're in a culture that tells us we should be ashamed of this gospel. Why? Because of its exclusive claim that Christ is the only way to God, right? So is this a truth we should still publicly proclaim, or is it something we should only whisper on Sundays? We see in this verse in Romans that it is the simple message of the gospel that is the power of God to transform the human heart or bring salvation, so, and you have to admit, that's a little bit hard to wrap your mind around, right? That this gospel message that we're going to be looking at, um, that when it's preached and with compassion and the power of the Holy Spirit, that that has the ability to transform and change the human heart um, and to radically um, change someone from the inside out. Now, let's look at this verse a little bit more. So in Romans 1 verse 16, Paul talks about salvation. So for Paul, when he talks about salvation, he's primarily referring to spiritual deliverance. So it's deliverance from sin and the judgment of God on judgment day. But the outworking of this salvation ripples throughout our whole lives and its benefits can be enjoyed now. Um, so what are some of those benefits? Well, when we encounter and accept this power of God that's in the gospel, then we know our sins are forgiven. The fear of death is gone, and we know that we're going to heaven when we die, right? And this actually changes everything once we get hold of this message in our lives. Now, notice also that Paul here doesn't put any qualifiers on salvation except belief. He says salvation is for everyone who believes, and we're going to hear that time and time again through this series, that um, God's not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. And likewise, this gospel is for every single human person from every culture, from every background, every gender, um, uh, any age. This gospel is the same gospel for every person. And what's our response is to believe, Paul says in this verse. Now, what's to believe? What's to put full trust in God who justifies the ungodly, Romans tells us later, by means of the cross and resurrection of Christ, as Romans 4 verse 5 tells us. So for Paul, belief is, involves surrendering to God as an act of the will. Right? It's not mere intellectual assent. I mean, we know in the Bible that, um, in the book of James, it says that the demons believe in God and shudder, but that doesn't save them, right? So belief is more than just intellectual assent. It's putting our trust in God, it's surrendering to Him. 
um, making him Lord of our lives. And also for Paul, as especially we see through the book of Acts as he preaches and um, all through the Gospels, we see that faith and repentance go hand in hand. So, what actually needs changing? Why do we need this power of the Gospel to transform us? What actually needs changing? What's wrong with us on the inside? I mean, what does this mean for humanity and what actually needs saving and changing in the first place? Well, the Bible tells us that before Christ, we're under the power of sin, and we can't actually stop sinning. And it goes even deeper than this. The Bible tells us that we have a sin nature um, that we inherited from Adam, and this actually generates rebellion towards God. And it's actually, this sin nature means that, that we're kind of fueled by this deep hatred of God at, at our core before Christ, so that we actually become alienated from God. And since God is the deepest spiritual desire in our heart, um, then that, when that desire is not being met, then, um, then something goes wrong in our hearts. And so you see, since we're created for intimate relationship with God, and this hasn't been met, then the pain from this bleeds over into all areas of our lives as we try and fill this void with unbelief or worship of ourselves or filling the void with other things like money or success or pleasure rather than the worship of God. So... In summary, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Right? That's what the gospel needs to address. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. So now let's look a little bit at what the extent of the problem is. You see, all the evils destroying our society actually spill out from the problem of the human heart, whether it's hatred, violence, discrimination, racism, selfishness, Selfishness in general, lies, greed, pride, bondage to sexual sin, these are all the things that lead to the breakdown of the individual. But then sin isn't primarily um, just about against ourselves, it's also against each other and against God. So that leads to the breakdown of families and ultimately the breakdown of society. And, you know, the government can legislate against the most destructive forms of sin by making them illegal, like rape and murder and theft. And society can also reward good behavior, but no matter how much external pressure is applied to the human being, society is ultimately powerless to change the human heart. You know, we need heart surgery. We need something radical and spiritual to transform us on the inside. And we know that no matter what we do as a society, um, these same social evils just keep popping up time and time again. You know, self-help and religion, which is humanity's attempt to earn salvation, they can only make superficial changes to this problem of the human heart. They're all just band-aids. None of them have the power to change the human heart. So let's go back to Romans again and actually have a look at, in, in a little bit more depth, Romans 1.16. So, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So what can transform the human heart? What can bring salvation? As we've looked at, that's, that's deliverance from sin and judgment, but it also outworks in our lives today. It actually has brings a freedom from sin. It brings a, uh, it brings a relationship with God that fills that deepest longing, that deepest desire we have for God, for the transcendent. Well, what can bring all that? What well, is the gospel. 
It's the gospel message when it's responded in faith and repentance as God softens our hearts. It has radical and dynamic power to deal a fatal blow to our, to our old nature, our heart that's bound by the worship of other things and not God. Um, and God actually comes in when we respond in faith and repentance. In due, di- due time, God comes in and gives us a new heart. He changes us on the inside. We call it being born again or regenerated in um, Christianese, if you will. Um, and then because the power of sin is broken, then we're actually fully able to worship God. We're fully able to love him and love others. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is the possibility there. And now, sure, this is a process, right? We're not made perfect. Our hearts aren't made perfect. But when we respond to the gospel in faith and repentance, something fundamentally changes in our heart. So why, as Christians, would we ever be ashamed of this gospel message? when it's just so powerful. It's the answer to our individual problem, but it's the, it's the answer to the problem, all the problems in our society. You see, this transformation, if it is real and not just outward conformity or mere external religion, can't help but influence our society around us. You see, God's grace, when we accept it through faith and repentance, it changes our heart, but it can't stop there. It flow, that grace, that power of God just flows out to other people as well. Um, and the love he puts in our hearts begins to impact others as well. We looked at that last week when we looked at, um, Jesus said, um, it's, by your one, but it's by your love one for the other, all men will know you, my disciples. And we can see this in action time and time again if we read church history. Now, if you're feeling a bit depressed and you're thinking society's not doing so well, church isn't doing so well, read church history because there's so many moments in time where the gospel was unleashed in society and people started coming to faith. And it wasn't just individuals. It led to transformation in society, whether it was the time of John Wesley and the transformation in English society, or whether it was a Salvation Army, or whether it was through the various awakenings that moved through America. If we read church history, we can see this transformation that the gospel brings. Um, you know, as individuals are changed, then this begins to change whole families, then whole communities. And eventually, as, as we see through the last few hundred years in Western history, and now throughout the world as the gospel is going to every place in the world, um, we can see that whole nations can be impacted and transformed by the gospel. Matthew 28, what does that tell us? Jesus tells us, does he say, go and make disciples of all individuals? No, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus expected that the gospel, when it really got unleashed in a society, would actually transform the nation to the point that it could be called a disciple of Jesus. So now I just want to share a little bit of... um, my personal experience of seeing the power of the gospel at work. You see, a lot of the time in evangelism, you are just sowing the seed. You know, um, there's, Jesus talks about this. There's, there's the parable of the sower. So there is um, a lot of evangelism is, is talking to people, sharing your faith. They're usually stoked and thank you for it. Like yesterday when I went out sharing with, um, with Sarah and Kumlan, we had like every guy shook my hand despite COVID restrictions, right? They were actually happy to hear the gospel, right? So, but usually you're just sowing the seed. Um, and sometimes there's a real impact. The Holy Spirit really turns up. Sometimes I get tears in my eyes as I'm talking to someone because I just feel the love of God for them. And at times I've had the privilege of just seeing God turn up and real power. Um, I wish it was every weekend I went out, but the times I have, it's just been amazing. And I want to just share just two stories about that. 
So one, one day I was open air preaching um, in Christchurch. I had a favorite spot. It was a fountain. It was never on, so I didn't get wet, but it was on Cashel Street. And I used to open air preach on this fountain in Christchurch. And this day about a dozen people sat down and the presence of God was there because they all stayed and listened to me share for about um, 15, 20 minutes. And as I was preaching, I saw this girl, and she had sunglasses on, and just tears were streaming down her face. And I was like, wow, I could feel God's presence. And, and afterwards, I had a, had a really good talk to her. And she'd just come over from, from Australia, and she was just about to make, her, make a really big decision that would have been wrong in God's eyes and would have affected her life for the rest of her life. But as she heard the gospel... Bang, she wanted to become a Christian then and there, and she decided not to make that decision, and she accepted Christ. Um, And there was just the presence of God, and that conviction of sin was just all over her. It was incredible. Another story, I was preaching the gospel in Christchurch again, and there was a group of about um, about 10 Muslim students. Um, now, Muslims are really open. I've brought so many Muslim students to church. It's amazing. I think they're more open to come to church than Kiwis are. But anyway, um, preaching always, and they're all listening to me really intently. And I, was, I wasn't holding back. I was going for the gospel. And um, I was a bit worried. I thought, am I going to get beaten up here? Um, I found out later the reason all 10 of them were listening to me so intently is only half of them had English up enough that they could understand what I was saying. So they were just trying to understand what I was saying. As you can hear, I talk quite fast when I get excited. So um, anyway, one of them listened real intently, and he said, look, I want to come to church. And I'm like, wow. He said, I've got a million questions for you. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I thought, okay, that's cool, because we're bringing lots of, every, every weekend we'd go out and bring a couple of people to church. We'd go to a barbecue first and then bring them to the church service at night. Um, and I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to learn Arabic and a whole of um, Muslim apologetics. I'm, you know, it's going to take a year or two. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. I can do that. So we prayed for him heaps. And the first weekend, um, something didn't work out. And he was a bit upset that, that we didn't get him along church the first weekend. But the next weekend, he came along. Um, and he came in the church service. And I always offered to pray for people after the church service. So I said, hey, could I pray for you? He said, I'd love that. So we took them up at the front of church, and get this, he'd only been in New Zealand for a couple of months, never been to another Western country, never heard the gospel before, right? Never, he'd started to have questions about the Quran himself and started to do a bit of research, but good research in this case. Um, he started to do a bit of research himself, but no one ever shared the gospel with him. After the service, he, he, he just started praying, and I said, whoa, he said, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're my Lord. I was just blown away. He probably never heard those words before that church service. Um, and he was on fire. He was radical for Jesus. Turned up at church every week, no complaining about this and that. He was just there, excited at everything he could come to. After about six months, his mum got really sick, who lived back in a Middle Eastern country, um, and, um, and said, look, come home, um, I'm really sick. She was actually kind of on her deathbed. Um, now, he, he really wanted to share the gospel with his family, right? And we kind of said, maybe it's not a good idea, because in his country, it's the death penalty if you convert away from Islam. But, um, but he went back, and he prayed for his mother, and she got healed and opened right up to the gospel. The rest of his family weren't quite so keen. When he shared the gospel with them, they put him under house arrest, so he wasn't able to leave his house. And they told the imam, and he came and tried to put holy water on him. And then they took him to Mecca, and this was about maybe four months into it, and to try and reconvert him. When he was in Mecca, now if they'd told the authorities, it may have been the end of his life, right? So when he was in Mecca, through a series of miracles, he escaped and came back to New Zealand. And he, and he was in New Zealand for about another 
um, eight months to ten months. Um, and just, again, just so excited, so willing, so will. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel, right? He wasn't ashamed. He was willing to die. He knew the risk of telling his family the gospel, but he was just so excited about Jesus. Um, he, he couldn't stop. Now, his family called him up again and said, look, we haven't told anyone, um, you know, and we're not going to tell the authorities you're a Christian, but we really want you to come home. So he said, yes, I'll come home. And so he went home again, and for the next couple of years, he was under, even though they didn't tell the authorities, he was under house arrest, so he, he basically couldn't leave his room for year after year. And one night, Sarah was talking to him on the phone and just saying, look, um, we love you, we're praying for you so much because we know how hard it is for you, you know? Um, it must be so hard for you what you're going through. And he said, look, I'm just so happy that out of all the people that Chris shared the gospel with, that, that he could have shared the gospel with that down the street that he shared it with me? That was his response, right? That's the power of the gospel, to radically change someone's heart. This, my friend, sorry, I almost said his name, <laughs> which I shouldn't do, but um, he truly laid down his life for Jesus and the gospel. He wasn't ashamed of Jesus, was he? So um, that's the power the gospel can have. Just one time, the first time he'd ever heard that gospel message. And I feel that often in the church today, we have actually lost faith in the power of the gospel message, and we've started using other means to attempt to bring people to Christ or attempt other ways of trying to make our church grow. Um, and so I want to look a little bit of a reflection on the experience of the church in New Zealand now. So in modern times, I believe that the church in New Zealand has been very good at reaching out to the community in certain ways and starting ministries to the poor and vulnerable in our society. And don't get me wrong, these are crucial ministries and they are an important and necessary part of our mission as a church. And we're going to be looking at how these, the, the ministry to the poor and um, and vulnerable in our society, actually ties in with the gospel, right? Because if you go back to every major move of God, whether it was John Wesley, reaching the poor and the gospel went hand in hand, or the Salvation Army, they went hand in hand. So these two shouldn't be separated. But in the church in New Zealand, we've been often good at doing this, um, but we've often failed to produce ministries in our churches that explicitly share the gospel with people. And when some churches do preach the gospel, the message itself has often been very short and often incomplete. And out of a desire to make the gospel message um, easier to accept, we've often left out the more difficult parts of the gospel message. So in modern times, the gospel has often been kind of sold to people, like it's like Jesus wants to give you a great life or he's got a wonderful plan, come to him and you'll get that wonderful plan or that wonderful life, or maybe even Jesus is better than beer, just give him a go, right? Jesus is going to be presented as an accessory to add to your life, as opposed to the Lord of your life that's going to transform your life, right? And what do, what do, what do us Western individualistic consumerists do with a, with a message that makes us feel good, that we just add to our life? Well, we give it a go for a while, and then when it doesn't suit us, we cast it aside. So that's often been the fruit of um, modern evangelism. So maybe not in words, but in action, we've actually become ashamed of the gospel because we've seen its potential to be offensive and a culture where it's about your truth and my truth, but not the truth. So perhaps we've forgotten that this simple gospel message, as Romans tells us, is the power of God 
that brings salvation. Now, just a story about this. Um, so I was part of a church movement that had a fantastic um, uh, ministry um, that, to youth that went around high schools and then had after concerts, um, this kind of youth tour. Um, and they would often you know, have amazing like dancing and, and dances and rap and, and music and, and testimonies. And then at the end of these kind of youth events, they'd give a very short gospel message that basically left out everything except Jesus as better than bear, give him a go, was the general, was the general message here. Um, and at one of these events, you know, they'd always do an older call. And they'd invite people for afterwards, excuse me, <laughs> I got water all over me, um, they'd invite people forward to respond, right? And at one of these events, they said, hey, you know, as part of becoming a Christian, if you come up the front now, you'll go in the drawer to get an iPod, right? So as you can imagine, at that particular youth event, there was even more youth that came forward after a very short and complete gospel message that was so-called made decisions for Jesus. And they said, look, you know, we had 58 or whatever it was, you know, youth become Christians, right? One of the pastors in that movement uh, where I was went around and actually did a survey in the churches about four four or five months later to see how many of those decisions were actually in church. How many do you think there were? Zero, right? That's our experience of evangelism. We do all this work, then we leave the gospel out or make it very short, and there's not much expectation, and then we, we don't see any fruit. And so over time, the church has kind of started to give up on even doing this thing called evangelism. You see, we've subtly shifted in what we're putting our faith in. We're putting our faith in music, or skateboarding, or rapping, or powerful testimonies and stories, which are all good things in themselves, but we're putting faith in those to bring people to Christ, rather than the gospel message itself. Now, I'd love it if I could juggle or if I could rap, like I had a friend that used to do a rap rock band that would do a similar thing, but he'd preach the gospel hard out, and um, sometimes no one would respond, right? But other times people were youth, and even um, a middle-aged man one time ran to the front, fell on his face, bawling with tears, right? Because he had faith in the gospel, right? And he used rap rock to draw a crowd, right? So I'd love to do that, but the key here is not putting our faith in those things, it's putting it in the gospel message itself, Right? Um, so I'd love to be able to, you know, sing or juggle or do something to draw a crowd, which I'm very untalented, so I just get up and preach. Um, but, um, but is it, what are we putting our faith in? Is it our ability to love people? Is it our ministries? Or is it actually the gospel? Which, what does Romans 1.16 tells us? The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. You know, we need to regain faith in the power of the gospel message. You know, because often we're putting our faith um, in emotionally charged and sometimes manipulative older calls and not putting our faith in the simple gospel message to bring radical conversions. I don't know if you've been in a, a meeting, an evangelism meeting over the years. We don't have a lot of them these days. But, you know, often there'll be like, you know, soft music in the background and, you know, say every eye closed, every head bowed. And now if you want to become a Christian, just slip up your hand. No one will see, right? And then you kind of keep drawing it out and then you kind of bring people slowly to the front, right? We're trying to do everything we can to make it easy and not um, sometimes tell people of the cost of becoming a Christian. You know, one time I was in an evangelism meeting where the person decided that 
the visiting ministry came through that shouted in the altar call. They shouted, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. So the pastor, he started doing the same thing. He started shouting in the altar call, right? Why? Because, or soft music, or go in the drawer for an iPod, because we're trying to manipulate people rather than just lovingly and clearly explain uh, the cost of commitment to them. Um, you know, another thing I think in the church we can do is put our faith in our ability to love others. We can, um, and that somehow by loving others via spiritual osmosis, this will actually lead people to Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, loving others is the basis for all of Christian life. Love God, love others, right? That's the foundation. So it's super important, right? But let's just look at the um, life of Jesus for a minute. Right? Jesus lived 30 years in Israel, right? and most of that in his hometown. He was the most loving person who ever lived, as well as the most holy person. But he was the most loving person who ever lived. Why, out of 30 years of ministry, did there seem to be so little result? You know, in Matthew 13, 55, they were like shocked at this guy that was doing these miracles and teaching. They got offended at him. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Right, 30 years of ministry, there doesn't seem to be um, much of an impact of, of the most loving person who ever lived, right? It wasn't until Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then started to preach the kingdom of God that then things started happening. And it's the same with us. Being, being a person of love is so important. Not being a hypocrite is even more important in evangelism. We need to live what we're preaching. But if all we do is just love people and not open our mouth, then we're, we're not going to see results. Just like Jesus didn't see um, results until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and started preaching and teaching the Word of God. Um, so just so again, we need to regain faith in the power of the gospel message and then preach it with compassion and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we will see the gospel powerfully at work. The gospel itself is the power of God to work deep spiritual transformation in people's lives and in our communities. So just one um, story to finish with. So another time I was preaching um, open air on top of my fountain and um, about 15 people, a lot of people were here and I had a friend with me sat down and listened. You know, this was in the, the Holy Spirit was moving at this time. You know, like if I open air preach now, you know, like, there's not really great places in Hamilton because people aren't really around in great crowds, but, but people will kind of wander past. But at this time, over this couple of years, we're just seeing dozens and dozens of young adults and older people give, um, become Christians and become part of church. So God was really moving. And um, I noticed these two um, girls sat down. I heard later they'd sat down to laugh at me because they thought, who's this weird guy preaching on top of a fountain? These two girls sat down to, to laugh at me. Um, and afterwards, after preaching the gospel, I rocked up and talked to them. I could see one of them was really impacted by the gospel. She was asking a million questions, which often people do after you share the gospel with them, which I happen to love apologetics, so I love answering those questions. So answering, talking to her for about 45 minutes, answering all these questions, I found out later that she went to the street corner with her friend and just burst into tears, right? She was and she said she wasn't a person that cried that much at all. She was quite, she described herself as hardened to emotional stuff. So she didn't really cry a lot and she just burst into tears. Her and her friend were, were just going to go into a movie, um, you know, a normal kind of movie 
violent movie, and, they, and she just couldn't stand the movie. She wasn't a Christian at all, hadn't really believed necessarily not if she believed in God before hearing the gospel, but she said she couldn't stand the movie. For the next two weeks, she had dreams of fire. She was just under intense conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in our group, we, we were praying for her. We were praying, um, praying that she'd come to Christ. The next week, weekend, uh, two weekends later, sorry, she came to the barbecue we had and other people would share the gospel with her there. And then we took her to church and she said, look, um, she said that she'd, she thought she was going to go crazy. So she, she just came along to church and said she wasn't interested. She knew it all stop. So that was her kind of original plan. But she came along to church and after the church service, we prayed for her. She couldn't stay on her feet. The presence of God was just all over her. And then we explained, I explained again to her what repentance was. And she said, is it that easy? I've just got to give all this sin up to God, and he would just take it away. She was amazed. And she, I said, yeah. Um, she said, as, as in that church service, she just felt like a Band-Aid was ripped away from, off her heart, and she could see all her pride, all her ambition, everything before God. And, and then she just started repenting and saying, and she said she felt a literal um, emptying out of herself. And then as we prayed for her again to be filled with the Holy Spirit, she just felt full of, she felt God just come in and fill her up. And she was on fire from that moment. Her, all her non-Christian friends actually all came to church, including that person that was at the fountain, um, listening, laughing at me at the fountain. Um, and, and, some, and she made a decision, so did her mum. But all her friends came to church at different points. But they got really concerned early on and tried to stage an intervention because she was just sharing the gospel with everyone she could meet. She'd rock up to strangers and tell them stuff about them, right? Say, oh, I feel like God wants me to tell you this. And the person would go, whoa, how did you know that? Um, she was just on fire for Jesus. Um, later on, I started dating that person, so a year or two later, and then eventually I married her. So that person is Sarah. So that's how we met, how I met my wife. God looked through all the um, you know, Christian women that were roughly around my age and said, well, there's, there's no one that can put up with this guy. So, um, no, I don't think that's why he saved her, but he saved her because he loved her. But, um, but Sarah's got a really good story now for how did you meet your husband when you, girls ask her that. As, oh, yeah, I saw this crazy guy preaching on a fountain. So I've seen the power of the gospel at work in and, and Sarah's life and my friend, an ex-Muslim's life, and this girl preach on the fountain. And me, I could tell you many, many other stories about the power of the gospel to set people free in a moment from drug addictions and have no withdrawal. I could tell you many other stories over the years. I wish I could say I saw that every weekend, but as we pray, as we seek God this year, and um, we can see a move of God that sees our church grow, not just through transfer growth, but through people coming to faith, if we're willing to um, get hold of this gospel message and pray and ask God to move. Because he wants to do it way more than we do, right? He's not willing that any should perish. He loves every single person out here in Hamilton and desires their salvation way more than we do. But we've got to make ourselves available to God and not be ashamed of the gospel and, um, and step out. In the way, as, as Craig rightly pointed out, you're not all going to do it in the way I do it. We're all going to be called to do it in different ways. Um, to pray for your friends, to invite them, but in the way God calls you to, um, to get hold of this amazing gospel message that we've got here right now that is the answer to every person's problems in this city. Isn't that amazing? And that if, it got, if, the city got, if the churches in the city got excited about it and actually went out and shared it, could actually transform this whole city of Hamilton. You know, our world is in desperate need. 
History is drawing to a close, and it's time for us as the church to get real about the state of society around us and about what we're actually here to do. Now, we've tried lots of other strategies. We've tried lots of other church growth and, make, and trying to be too cool for school and, and just track people different ways. But arguably, our world in the West is even more lost than it was even a decade or two ago by every metric you can measure by. So remember, at the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And we need the radical power of God that is in the gospel to explode across the city and change hearts, set people free, and draw them into lifelong relationships with himself. It's time for us to reclaim our battle cry. We are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation.